great to be with you again. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna start out, uh, instead of jumping right into the talk, I wanna recapture something from last night. Uh, monasticism of the heart. Uh, I know some of you are here today, weren't with us last night, so hopefully you're, you're close by, some of you can explain what we're talking about. Um, so if you, if you think back to last night, maybe even close your eyes, we're, we're, we're gonna do this kind of quickly, you know, two, three minutes is all. Uh, but I, I want you to look back on the experience of last night. What, what was one of the predominant movements? Does that make sense? Like there, there might have been a number of things that maybe you wrote in the margins, but just pick one. It's one key thing that you would, you would say was the predominant one. That, that just kind of stood out to you, like this, this one thought that you would want to respond to with receptivity, with generosity. A big, big part of the spiritual life, uh, following Christ, being a disciple, is being aware. Being, being aware of those movements and responding to those movements. So I, I, I just want you to capture one, and then we're, we're gonna take a minute for you to just turn to someone close, close by you and just share with each other, Here, here's what the Lord did, here's something that moved in me last night. Here's how I could use some prayer. And you're just gonna say a quick prayer for each other. It doesn't need to be a long thing, it doesn't need to be really, uh, drawn out, you know, uh, it's very simple. Lord, bless so-and-so with, with this grace to respond, to be open to how, how you're, you're working in their heart. Very simple, okay? So be aware, what's, what was the predominant movement? How, how do you need prayer? How do you need grace to respond to that? So turn to a friend uh, and just share and pray with each other briefly, okay? Okay, let's start to come back together. We won. Bit, we won big. I haven't heard what happened with the other five teams. So. Okay, so I, I don't know if that was stretching, maybe even a little awkward, uh, it shouldn't be. If, if, it, if, if you felt a little bit of that, like, oh, this is kind of weird, I'm sharing with somebody about, you know, that's kind of personal. Uh, those of you who are a little bit older uh, might experience that more because it's, it's more common in, you know, previous generations to keep faith something very personal, very private. We don't, we don't share that stuff with other people. Um, Sherry Waddell, Father talked about Sherry Waddell's book last night, Forming Intentional Disciples. Uh, she actually talks about this as we've, we've grown into a culture in America where it's don't ask, don't tell when it comes to faith. Don't ask, don't tell. We, we don't talk to people about that. That's something that's very private, okay? Uh, that's ridiculous. It, it really is. Think about it. Like how many of you have been to a great restaurant before? Did you go tell people about going to the great restaurant? <laughs> how many of you have been to a really good movie before? Didn't you go tell people about how great the movie was and what did they do? 
They, they, went and, they went and watched it, or they went and ate at that restaurant. Did you call them a few days later and say, did you go? No, because you, you, you weren't sharing it like that. You weren't sharing it demanding their response. You were just openly sharing with an invitation, like, this was a great experience for me. Maybe you would enjoy this experience. This is what faith needs to be like. That, that, that's, that's actually evangelization. I, I share, in, in some ways, with no strings attached. I'm not sharing, demanding your response. I'm just, I'm just excited about what I've experienced, and I'm sharing it with you. And th this is something that we, it, it needs to be a part of the fabric of our life as Catholics. Uh, I, I love this, uh, uh, th this little framework that's being done in the diocese here. Uh, generous hospitality, lively faith, dedicated discipleship. I, I, it's, a, it's a great lens that captures what our Catholic life should be, the way we should be living it. Uh, and, and this is a big part of it, is sharing, sharing ourselves. So I'm, uh, if, if that was a little stretching for you, I, I apologize, but I don't apologize all at the same time, right? Uh, if, if it made you uncomfortable, I'm sorry, but it's a good uncomfortable. It's, it's a good stretch. We, we need to be finding ourselves more and more uncomfortable, uh, or I'm sorry, more and more comfortable, just very, very openly, genuinely, organically sharing about our faith. What I'm going to do this morning, we talked last night about uh, open wide the doors. This morning I want to talk about real presence. But not the kind of real presence that you're most, most of you are thinking. This is a term that's very Catholic, right? What, what, when we say real presence, what are we talking about? The Eucharist. Jesus truly, really present in the Eucharist. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. That's what we believe as Catholics, right? How did Jesus, what did he have to do to become really present like that? He had to die on the cross. Pretty horrible death. And then he had to rise from the dead and infuse himself into the bread and the wine so that that could become an ongoing gift for us, right? That was a pretty big task, wasn't it? To do all of that. Let's flip these words around this morning on us. If Jesus is fully, really present to us in the Eucharist and all that he had to do to be in that place, how can we have real presence? How can we fully respond how can we be really present to Christ? How can we be really present to the work of God in our day-to-day -day lives? And how can we be really present to other people as we encounter them? What, what is our real presence in, in, in the whole equation, right? And th this makes sense because if we, if we think about last night, the whole focus of last night was all on the encounter, right? How, how do we experience this encounter with God well, the, the encounter leads to what? J just think about this humanly, nat naturally. Like, when, when you encounter another person, what does it lead to? With re to relationship, doesn't it? We, we encounter someone. Now, sometimes you'll encounter a random stranger. I met somebody on the airplane yesterday. I'm not going to get into a relationship with them. 
I'm probably never gonna see them again, right? Uh, but I had a conversation with them. I, I, I encountered them fully as a real person, right? Uh, do, do you know what, sometimes you can go through life where you don't really, you're not really present. You're there, but, but you actually don't, you don't really acknowledge the other person. You know, like I've, I've been on trips before, I was tired or uh, I'm, I'm a complete introvert, which I know sounds weird with the kind of stuff that I do. So sometimes when I leave something like this, like I, I get back on the airplane flying home, it's like I, I literally can't talk to anybody. I have nothing, I have no words left in me. Uh, all my extroverted, any bit of it that's there is gone. Uh, but, but yesterday, I, I ended up having a conversation with somebody on the plane. So I'm, I'm but th there's times where you could sit next to somebody and never even say hello. You could run into somebody in the grocery store and not even acknowledge them as another person real presence? Are, are we being really present to the people around us? Are we being really present to the, to, to the environment that we're in? One of the ways that the churches, or, or one of the ways that the church defines this for us in the Eucharist, because in, in some ways, Jesus's real presence demands our real presence. The way the church defines that for the liturgy, for us, is what? Full, active, and conscious participation. So in, in some ways, you, you actually have the definition of what real presence outside of the liturgy looks like. Full, active, and conscious. I'm fully there. I'm, I'm aware of my surroundings. I'm aware of what's going on. I'm paying attention to the Holy Spirit as I'm in that awareness because sometimes the Holy Spirit will actually bring things across my path that I'm meant to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm conscious both internally and externally, right? Full, active, and conscious participation. So I'm, I'm flipping those words around a little bit this morning to talk about real presence. What, what does our real presence look like? The encounter leads to relationship, but this relationship is different than any other relationship in your life. Because the encounter with God does some very, very unique things. When, when you're in relationship with God, when I'm in relationship with God, it, it speaks to these fundamental questions that I have. Who am I? How did, how did I get here anyway? What, what is this all about? What's, what's my life all about? What am, I, what am I supposed to do? Now, if you're, if you're older, you, you might be past asking that question, what, what, why am I here, what's my life all about? But you might be wrestling with another big question, where am I going? What happens after this life? What has my life been all about and how is it helping me get to where I'm supposed to go next? These are big, big questions that every human being wrestles with, whether you're Christian or not. An atheist, ironically, wrestles with these same kind of questions because it's just stamped in us as human beings. We wrestle with these deep questions. What, what is life all about? Our relationship with God, in a very unique way, speaks into this, okay? Now, you may have never heard this,
fireplace. My, I lost my projectors. <laughs> this slide is very critical, actually. I couldn't, do, I couldn't say what I'm gonna say without this next slide. So, I heard an explanation of life that helped a lot of things make sense for me. If, if you've gone through life struggling with questions about what, is, what, is, what does it all mean and how does it all work, uh, this, this really helps, I think, with that understanding. I'll, I'll try and move forward on this without the slide and we'll see how we do, okay? Uh, it's just pictures, so you can use your imagination. Um, so, on the first day of creation, this is a little different creation story than you've ever heard, probably. Um, but on the first day of creation, God created a dog. And he said to the dog, I want you to be happy. I want you to bark and protect. When people walk by or when people come into the, uh, you know, come, come across the, the front yard, I, I want you to bark and protect your owner. And for this, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. Well, the dog was like, there we go. The dog was like, 20 years, that's a long time to just be barking at people. So how about, how about I give you 10 of those years back and I'll have a lifespan of 10 years. And God was like, okay. So next, he created a monkey. And he said to the monkey, I want you to just have fun and play and entertain people. Make people laugh. Do monkey tricks. And for this, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. Well, the monkey, 20 years is a long time to do monkey tricks. How about 10 years? And I'll give you 10 years back. And God was like, okay. So then God created a cow. And he said to the cow, I want you to work for the farmer. And I want you to serve him and provide for his family. I want you to go out into the field and work under the hot sun and produce milk and, and, and food for, for the farmer and for his family. And for this, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 60 years. Well, the cow was like, 60 years? That's a hard life and a long time to be working so hard. How about 20 years? And I'll give you 40 years back. And God was like, okay. Well, then he created man. And he said to the man, I just want you to enjoy yourself. I just want you to have fun and rest and relax and sleep and eat. and Just enjoy yourself. And for this, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. Well, the man was like, 20 years? That's a good life. Like, why? Why would I only have that for 20 years? It was working. (laughs) 
But I'll, I'll finish. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. So the man says, only 20 years? Like, I, I need more than that. Uh, how about I'll take the 20 years that you gave me, but I'll take the 40 years that the cow gave back to you, and the, and the 10 years that the monkey gave back to you, and the 10 years that the dog gave back to you. That, that, that way I have like 80 years. And God said, okay. So now we know why things are the way that they are. <laughs> this is why you spend the first 20 years of your life just eating and sleeping and enjoying yourself. And then you spend the next 40 years of your life slaving out under the hot sun, working in the field, trying to provide for your family. And then you spend 10 years of your life doing monkey tricks for your grandchildren. And you spend the last 10 years of your life sitting on the front porch barking at everybody that goes by. Now we know. Okay, that's not really how it works, but it's just really funny. See, God has a, when we get in relationship with him, where he speaks into our very existence and, and helps us understanding, understand the meaning behind things. And that is all, remember, encounter leads to relationship. How do we access the relationship? In prayer. Prayer is, is all about relationship. So I, I want to give us three key things here. Oh, wow. Hold, hold on just a second. I, is the third word on there? <laughs> just look on this side. <laughs> this is just the enemy trying to like get me all off kilter, and I'm just not going to let him, Okay. Relationship identity mission. This is what happens in, in our relationship with God. We, we get into relationship with God, and, and what's interesting is God is the kind of person, he's like a parent for a child, and, and he is our father, right? I know my kids better than they know themselves. So when my kids spend time with me, I actually help them understand who they are. So relationship tends to inform, if you will, their identity. When I spend time with God, it actually helps me understand myself better. Well, when I know who I am, I tend to know why I'm here. Relationship, identity, mission. This is all tied together. So God's, God, our relationship with God is unique because prayer is all about a relationship. Prayer is all about spending time with someone who knows us better than we know ourselves, which just is good for us. But ultimately, prayer is all about mission. It's all about knowing what we're here for, knowing what we're meant to do, knowing how we're meant to be caught up in God's plan for what he wants to do in the world. And, and ultimately for how he desires for us to be back with him for all eternity. Prayer is, is about relationship, identity, mission. So real presence for us, being really present in this relationship with God is about 
engaging with this reality, being, being drawn into this, right? I, I want to share with you some motivation of what, what this looks like. This is kind of a long quote, and so my, my apologies, it's going to go, I, I broke it out over several slides, but it's so powerful because I, I think it just speaks right to the heart of some motivation. Don't get offended. If you read something on these slides, you're like, oh, that kind of hurt. It's, it's just because it's true for all of us, right? This is true for me, right? You don't have to get married to this idea here. Just have it over for a cup of coffee. Those who do not pray habitually, no matter how faith-filled or pious, will not achieve full spiritual maturity. They will not acquire peace of soul because they will always experience excessive disquietude and view things according to their worldly significance. Thus, they will always suffer from vanity, selfishness, self-centeredness, ambition, meanness of heart, judgment, and an unhealthy willfulness and attachment to their opinions. Sound familiar? Every time I read this, I'm just like, okay, I just want to go home now. Those who do not pray may acquire human wisdom and prudence, but not true spiritual freedom or a deep and radical purification of heart. They will not be able to grasp the depths of divine mercy or know how to make it known to others, which is what this life is all about. The encounter with God, it's, it's not just the encounter of meeting him and coming to know him, but it, it, it actually becomes an encounter with his mercy. This is what I was talking about last night, how God wants to come into every area of our heart. He, he, wants to, he wants to come in even to our weaknesses and our brokenness and our hurting and our, our, our addictions and our sin. He wants to come into every part of us so that we can know his mercy. Because when we know his mercy, we can share his mercy with others. Their judgments will always end up short-sighted, mistaken, and contemptible. They will never be able to walk God's ways, which are far different from what many, even those who have committed themselves to a life in the Spirit, imagine them to be. That's a quote from Jacques Philippe uh, from a book called Time for God. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a pretty short read and, and, a, and a tremendous book. Uh, I, I would highly recommend it. If you, if you, particularly if you struggle sometimes with, how do, how do I make time for prayer? How do I get prayer to happen? If, if you need some motivation, Time for God is a great, uh, it's a great motivator because it's filled with quotes like this that just get right to the core of 
why prayer is so important, the, the, the critical nature of, of prayer for every single one of us. Right? It speaks a little bit to that quote that I shared last night from St. Bernard. Okay, we're back on both sides now. This is that quote that I, I said last night. I didn't have it on a slide for you, so I, I put it on one this morning. Right? But this is about being a reservoir. Don't just be a channel. Don't just transmit stuff from one place to another without keeping any of it for yourself, but be like a reservoir. Right? So, so, the, so the big question for all of us becomes, are we a reservoir? Or are we just, are we just a channel? How is God inviting that to happen in, in our own lives, right? So I, I want to give us a couple of very practical examples of what this looks like uh, in, in real human experience. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to use a scriptural school like we did last night, but I, I want to start by just sharing a story from one of my kids. So you saw the picture of the family last night. Our youngest is Brian. He's almost 10. Well, five years ago, when he was just five, so you, you can see him. See on, yeah, so he's in, in my lap there on the, on the jet ski. Uh, I was riding with him, just he and I. So the, so the third, the, uh, I think that's Daniel behind me, was, wasn't on the jet ski. Um, but this, this was one of those family trips uh, that just became this amazing experience. We, we were actually in Memphis vi visiting Meg's parents and some friends of ours who had a beach house down in Mobile, Alabama, invited us down, which it, it was only like another seven hours or so. Uh, <laughs> so we spent some time in Memphis and then drove down to Mobile and spent another four days down there. Uh, well, they, they had a, a boathouse and jet skis and, and a boat where they could take us out water skiing. And uh, it, it was, for my kids, it was like the time of their life, right? Well, Brian was a little bit too young to drive the jet skis. So he kept begging through the whole time that he, he wanted to drive one. And we just kept telling him, no, uh, you're too young, you're too young. Well, the last day that we were there, I finally broke down and said, Okay, I'll let you ride one, but I've got to be on it with you. He wasn't very good with the throttle. And he, he would hit the throttle really fast and go to full speed and would knock me off the back. So he had to keep coming around and letting me get back on, you know, which he just thought was the funniest thing in the world. Uh, after a while, I, I realized he was doing it on purpose. You know? <laughs> I'm like, Brian, stop it. And he's like... <laughs> well... If you've, ever, if you've ever been there, Mobile Bay, which is very, very big, way, way, way out in the middle, there's this big wooden structure. And I, I, at first, I didn't know what it was or what, what, what it was all about. I think it's just a place where birds can land. It's just built out there because birds flying across the whole bay, it's, it's a place where they can rest. Brian says, I want to go out there to that wooden structure, of course, right? Uh, I think it was just because it was so far away. It was, just, it was something really far, and he could drive for a long time. So I was like, okay. So we, we ride all the way out there. It took us a long time, you know, probably a good 10 minutes or so to get out to where this thing was. And there were hundreds of birds on it. 
And so he's, what he would do is he would drive the jet ski as fast as he could toward the wooden thing until all the birds would fly away. And then he would turn off right before he hit it. And the birds would all fly up into the air and then he'd drive away at a little distance and just sit there and wait and all the birds would land again. And then he'd do it again. We did this for like 30 minutes. Uh, just, you know. And he was having the time of his life. Right? Well, then we're, we're leaving. I, I finally said, Brian, we got to go back. You're going to run the thing out of gas. And uh, he's like, oh, I don't want to go. Um, and so then we're, we're going to go back to shore. But one of the things that you noticed is when you got out towards the middle of the bay, the water got a lot calmer. When we were by the shore, the water was pretty choppy, and it was hard to go fast because you would start bouncing. Well, out, out there, it was much smoother. And so he says to me, can I go full throttle? I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. I'm like, okay. And I said, but I have to hold on to the handlebars up, up in front of you because you're going you're gonna to knock me off again. And I don't want to fall off going full speed. And uh, so he just hits the throttle, and we literally are going so fast that there's, there's multiple times we're just, we're not touching water. We're, we're in the air, just flying, right? He's having the time of his life. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he just lets go of the throttle, and the ski just comes to this grinding stop in the water. And I couldn't figure out what happened. It's like, I'm, he's, he's right in front of me, so I'm looking around at him. I was like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? And he's just staring off into the distance with this, like, amazed look on his face. I'm like, Brian, what's going on? And then he just turns and looks with this weird smile. Someday, I'm going to be doing this with my kid. And then he just hits the throttle and goes again. So the whole rest of the way back to the shore, I'm processing, like, what just happened? <laughs> like, that was a really deep statement, you know? And it, it was like, he said it, didn't think another thing about it, drove back, you know? And I, and I was actually thinking, maybe once we got back to shore and we're getting off, he would explain more about what he meant, never brought it up. And so I'm, I'm kind of waiting and, and thinking, wow, like, where, where did that come from? Like, what was going on there? Does this sound a little bit like what we were talking about last night? Monasticism of the heart, right? That was a deep movement, which it happened for a second, and Brian just moved on. He didn't spend any more time thinking about it. And, and, and if I wouldn't have done what I did over the next 12 hours, he probably never would have thought about it again. But this is the practice that we have to get into. As parents, I believe... We have to help our children get into the practice of knowing how to capture these moments and, and allow them to be uh, opportunities for God to speak into our hearts. So the rest of the day, Brian never brought it up again. After dinner that night, we didn't have anything going on. So I, I said to Meg, I, I want to take Brian on a little walk. I'm going to take him out to the boathouse uh, and... I just want to talk with him a little bit. I had already told her about the whole experience. And, and of course, you know, any, any mom, she's like, oh. And I was like, oh, there's, there's so much more going on there. Like, I, I go, I don't know what was going on, but I, I just, sometime today, I, just, I, I want to take some time to process with him. 
So after dinner, I say, hey, Brian, let's go on a walk. Let's go out to the boathouse. So we, we go out there, and of, and of course, at first, he's throwing, throwing things into the water, and he wants to throw, their, they have a net where you can throw off the thing and try and catch fish, and so he, he's being a typical boy, very busy, you know. Um, and so when it seemed like he was bored with all of that stuff, I said, hey, let's, let's sit down for a minute. Let's look at the sunset. The sun was setting over the bay, and the reflection was coming all the way across the water, all the way up to the dock. It's beautiful. And so we sit in two rocking chairs. His was way too big for him as a five-year-old. And he, and he kept trying to put his arms up onto the armrest. And so like, I just have this memory of him sitting there like this, you know, just like way too little uh, for the chair he was in. And he's looking, perfect view, like he's facing the sunset. And so I just said, Brian, I want you to go back to being on the jet ski this afternoon. When, when you had that thought, someday I'm going to be doing this with my kid. He laughed, he kind of giggles, and I was like, that was really a profound moment. What's profound mean? <laughs> I'm trying to explain to him, like, this, this, this is really important. I don't want you to miss this, because something big was happening there inside you. But what you said, I don't think is, is actually the movement. Like, let, let's try to get behind why you said what you said to what you were really feeling. Remember, the, these movements are thoughts, feelings, and desires. So what was going on inside you that caused you to say what you said? I don't know. Well, let's, let's just take a minute and think about it. Actually, let's ask God to help. Okay. He's only five. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to lead him in this. So I said, let's just say a quick prayer. He closes his eyes, and I said, Lord, help Brian understand what was going on in his heart today when we were riding on the jet ski. Simple. Didn't need to be a complicated prayer. Very simple. So I said, Brian, what were you feeling when you said that? What was the feeling going on inside you? Now here's the beautiful thing about a five-year-old, right? Here, here's what he says. I was overwhelmed. I didn't even know he knew that word. I was overwhelmed with happy. It doesn't make sense, but it makes all the sense in the world for a five-year-old. I was overwhelmed with happy. Awesome. That's awesome, okay. So that's the feeling. The movement, the feeling is, I was so happy that I was like blowing up. My heart was blowing up. And the only thing that I could say was, all, all I could think was someday I could be doing this with my kid and my kid would be blowing up with, with happy. Overwhelmed with happy. Okay, let's pray with that. He's like, how do you do that? I was like, well, just share that with Jesus. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to take a minute to pray. And I just want you to tell Jesus, today, when I was riding on the jet ski, I was overwhelmed with happy. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be with my dad. Thank you for letting me have that experience. Like, I was so happy. Okay. We close our eyes. And I just invite him to, to do that in his, in his own heart. He's being very quiet. 
five-year-old. I sat there for five minutes, six minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes, with him just sitting there with his eyes closed. <laughs> the whole time I'm just sitting there like, what is going on? Uh, I didn't think he had the capacity to be quiet this long, right? I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. You know, like, what is, what is happening? And then finally he just opens his eyes. He was, he, and he, you could tell, like, okay, I'm done. I'm like, well, so what happened? He's like, I told him. Did he say anything to you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, what, what did he say to you? Very matter of fact, right? Oh, he just said, that's the way I feel every time I'm with you. In relationship, God speaks into our heart and tells us who we are. He helps us understand our identity. There's nothing greater I could do as a father than to help my son know that Jesus is overwhelmed with happy every time he's with him. Blow up, right? This is so awesome. Brian would have never gotten there if I wouldn't have helped him pray with the movement. So I, I had to capture what he said, help him identify what's underneath what I said. What's the, what's the real movement, the, the feeling? Now relate that feeling to God, and then what does God want to say to me with that? That's the way I feel every time I'm with you. I, I can't do anything better for my son than that, right? It's beautiful. So this is, this is the tra trajectory of the spiritual life. We, we talked last night about open wide the doors, generous hospitality to the Lord in our own heart, allowing him to come in, allowing him to be a part of every part of us. Brian's little story is a great example there of capturing a movement, relating it to God, and then allowing God to speak into our hearts. This is the whole work of the interior life. If a five-year-old can do this, any of us can do this. We all have the capacity for this kind of relationship because ultimately where, where God is leading us is into this relationship for the sake of mission, okay? So I, I want to close. Let's make sure that I'm, yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to wrap up here, and then we, we might have time for some questions. I just want to use another scriptural school, okay? Uh, some of you went home last night, and you came back with your Bibles today. Uh, if, if you have your Bible, I'm, I'm using John chapter 4, this is a story of the Samaritan woman. Uh, it's a great story. We read this, most, most years, almost every parish will read this story during the season of Lent because uh, we, we focus on the cycle uh, A readings during the season of Lent because people going through RCIA, all of the cycle A readings are these powerful encounters that people have with Jesus. 
And so this is a great story that captures an encounter, but the encounter leads to relationship. The relationship leads to mission. And th this, is, this is where we're going this afternoon. Lively faith, right? Dedicated discipleship. The, the, the encounter fuels all of that in our lives. So the story starts out in John chapter 4. One, one of the interesting things about the way it starts is Jesus is down near Jerusalem. He's in Judea. And it says he has to go back to Galilee. So he had to pass through Samaria. Well, John, who's writing this gospel, for first century Christians... First century Christians would be very familiar with the landscape of that region of the country. And they would know immediately that when he says he had to pass through Samaria, it wouldn't be because that's the way you go. If you were in, down near Jerusalem and you went up to Galilee and you tried to pass through Samaria, particularly, particularly where Sychar is, you would be mountain climbing. It's very hill, hilly and very mountainous. No one would, no one would walk that way. You would walk along the Jordan River or you'd go along the shore of the sea and then, you would, and then you would come back to Galilee. So somebody reading this, first century, understanding the landscape, they would know he had to pass through Samaria not because that's the way you go, but for some other reason. What would the other reason be? He had to meet this woman. You ever had one of those experiences in your life where God leads you somewhere you had to go that way, not because that's the way that you would go, but because there's something he wanted you to do along the way. This is a divine appointment. He had to meet this woman. And so he, he goes by Sikar, uh, he goes out to the well. John also sets this whole thing up in a little bit of a wedding context because the way the story starts would just set off all kinds of bells for people who are familiar with Old Testament stories. Jacob's well is where Jacob met his wife. Jacob's well is where Moses met his wife. And Moses' story is almost identical to this. Moses is fleeing from Egypt in, in about the middle of the day. He's wearied from the heat and from his journey, and he sits down next to the well, and then his wife comes to water the animals, and Moses meets her. Sounds almost identical to Jesus, wearied from his travel, sits down by the well, it's about the sixth hour, noon, hottest time of the day, and then the Samaritan woman comes out. It's an almost identical story. So there, there, there's a little bit of this kind of wedding theme that's, that John is mixing in here, right? Uh, why, you gotta ask a question though, reading between the lines here, why would a woman be coming out to the well around noon? Yeah, she was a reject. That's a good way of putting it. She, she was the town scandal. We hear this later in the story, right? No one else would be at the well at noon. So if she goes out there at that time, it's convenient because she doesn't have to deal with people. So imagine her coming around the corner and then seeing Jesus there. Oh, great. Not only is somebody here, but it's a Jew who just treat Samaritans badly. They look down on Samaritans, right? So, I, I mean, like, and it's a man, right? So it's kind of like a double cultural whammy. All she can do is hope in the cultural barriers, because it's a Jew, 
who typically doesn't interact with Samaritans, and because he's a man, men don't talk to women in secluded places like this. So I think she's hoping against all hope, like I can just go get my water and get out of here, right? And so imagine her surprise when she gets up to the well and he says, give me a drink. Who are you, a Jew? This is what she says. Who are you, a Jew, talking to me, a woman of Samaria? Men don't talk to women. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. So she's very closed off, very resistant, right? And then he says to her, if you knew the gift of God that was with you right now, you would have asked me for a drink. And I would have given you living water. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you were to read this in the original Greek, the word for living could be translated living, but it could also be translated running, moving. What do you think she interprets? I, I think she's thinking indoor plumbing. Because the more that you read through the story, like she's not jumping to any like spiritual living water interpretation. What, what is she interpreting? I mean, she says, sir, give me this water so that I wouldn't have to come out here to draw. Can you imagine what's going on in her mind? I have to come out to this stinking well at the hottest time of the day to avoid people. Could you imagine if I had running water in my house? I wouldn't have to go out to the well at all. Okay, give me this water. If, you, if you've got some indoor plumbing, I want it. She's thinking all on a human level. All about her human needs, right? She's not the only one. The disciples are actually with him in this story. The story starts out with him and his disciples are in Judea. They're all going up to Galilee, passing through Samaria. And what happens when they actually get to the well near Sychar? It says the disciples left to go get food. And later in the story, they come back with food and they're trying to get Jesus to eat. And Jesus says, I'm not hungry. I've got food to eat that you don't know about. And then they start looking at each other like, what? Did somebody else go get him food? So the disciples, right? The disciples in the story are actually not being disciples. They're just all concerned about the human level Taking, a care, taking care of human needs. We gotta go get food. Let's, let's run to McDonald's. Get him a Big Mac. They come back with food. I've got food to eat of which you do not know. Did somebody go get him Burger King? What the heck? They're all confused, right? And then he goes on to this whole thing at the end, uh, talking about reaping and sowing, and uh, you're, you're gonna reap what you didn't sow. I mean, they had to be looking at each other like, what is he talking about? All confused, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful story. So here's the encounter with the woman. He's trying to bring her up to him. He's trying to draw her into relationship with him. She starts out very resistant, very, very cold. You know, who are you, a Jew, talking to me, a woman? And then she warms up to maybe you can meet some of my human needs. Give me this water. Give me running water. Then I wouldn't even have to come out here to draw. Right when he gets her there, what does he do? He changes the whole conversation in one sentence. Go 
call your husband. What? We've been talking about water and drinks and go call your husband. I mean, like, talk about a hard right turn in a conversation. Like, okay, what's going on here, right? I don't have a husband. Oh, you're right, you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. I, I don't have time to go into all of the, the depths of this, so I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna fire hose you for just a second with understanding, okay? Look, if you have your Bibles, just look at the, the sentence. Jesus said to her, so this is verse 17. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands. Read that in Greek. Those yous would be two different words. Singular and plural. You're right in saying you don't have a husband, you singular. The fact is, you, plural, have had five husbands. And you can actually tell from the rest of the narrative that the woman interprets exactly what he's saying because in the next sentence, when she starts talking, she doesn't talk about herself. She doesn't talk about her five husbands. She starts talking about the whole nation of Samaria. She makes the shift with him to stop talking about her and talking about their whole country. Old Testament history, 1 and 2 Kings, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by the Assyrians. And when the Assyrian king came in, he displaced the people and brought in five foreign nations to occupy the land. What did those five foreign nations bring with them? They're false gods. And over time, the people of Samaria began to worship those five false gods. You, the nation of Samaria, have had five husbands. What's interesting, I, I think that this woman's personal life, I think she probably did have five husbands. I think her life mirrored the story of her whole nation. And Jesus like connects all of the dots and helps bring it all together. I think the reason why you can interpret it that way is because when she runs back to the village, she doesn't tell everyone, come meet a man who told, told me everything that we ever did. She said, come meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. I, I think her life mirrors the whole nation. She starts talking about Samaria, and, and what's fascinating is she goes from, who are you, a Jew, talking to me, a woman, to, hey, give me this running water, that would be pretty convenient, to, are you a prophet? To, are you the Messiah? Guess what happens at the end of the story? She runs back to the village. What does she leave at the well? Her water jars. She's not even concerned anymore about water. This is what the whole story was all about. She was out there to get water. She doesn't care about water anymore. She's running back to the village to tell everyone about this person that she just encountered. The encounter leads to relationship. Relationship leads to mission. She comes to know who she is, her identity, through the encounter, through the relationship, but that fuels her mission. 
She goes back to the village. She tells all of the people. And, and, and you've got to imagine, as she starts to come back and tell all of these people in the village, hey, come and meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. What do you think the reaction of the people is going to be? Okay, let's go out there. I don't think that would be the first reaction. I mean, this is a woman who avoids people like the plague. I, I think there's a lot of bad vibe between her and the people in her village. I don't, I don't think their first response would be to do whatever she says. I think it would be to call her the names that they typically call her and ridicule her the way that they typically ridicule her. Why did they go out to the well? Because of the change that they saw in her. They saw something fundamentally different in her. Her response when they said what they said, and then they're looking at each other like, what's going on here? What, what's, what's, what's happening here? Maybe we should go check this out. They go out, they meet Jesus. What happens? They encounter him. They're struck by what he's saying. They ask him to stay. He stays there for two more days. And then the story ends by them saying to the woman, at first we believed because of your testimony, but now we've heard for ourselves and we believe that this truly is the Son of God, the Messiah. Relationship, identity, mission. You want to live a lively faith. You, you want to live a contagious faith where you're sharing your faith with other people. Access the relationship. Get into the relationship. Meet Christ. Fully encounter him with generous hospitality, generous receptivity. That's going to inform and inspire who you are, your identity, which is going to fuel your mission. We, we, I, I call it interiority for mission, which is going to be the whole talk this afternoon after lunch. Let's close with a prayer. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.